Uh, We're glad you're here at Summit this morning, and whether you're joining us online or you're here for the first time and you're here, we're just glad you're here. This is going to be a great Sunday. Uh, I am Dan Houck. I'm one of the pastors around here, and I noticed as I was coming in here, a few of you are dressed up. If, if, if you're not uh, here, you can't see it, but there's a lot of costumes in the room. Yes, it's that time of year. And I, I was thinking about costumes this morning, and I thought, you know what's an interesting costume for a kid is, is uh, the devil. You ever seen that costume on the little kids? It looks so cute. Like, oh, Johnny looks so cute as, as the Prince of Darkness. But, but <clears throat> if you've done that as a parent, I just want to rest assured it's okay because that's not really what the devil looks like. He doesn't have red horns and a pitchfork and a tail, right? That's, a, that's a, a fiction. It's made up by some guy named Dante, Dante's Inferno. Uh, and we know the devil looks a lot different. And why am I talking about the devil this morning? Well, it's because that's what we're talking about today. And I think it's appropriate, right? It's it's the, it's the season, and so let's talk about that this morning, but um, this is a series that we've been doing called Missing It, and the series really is understanding sin and grace, what it is, what it isn't, and uh, what does the devil have to do with that? Well, everything. He's the one that started the ball rolling. Uh, he's the one that's trying to undermine us, and he's the one that doesn't want us to look at grace, and so uh, speak of the devil. I just want to get something off my chest right now, if I could. Uh, how many of you are sick and tired of getting emails, texts, or phone calls from people saying, oh, I've been trying to get a hold of you about your extended warranty, right? <laughs> my car has 190,000 miles. You do not want a warranty in my car anymore. Or, or you get something uh, in an email that, that says, someone has hacked your account, click on this link to find out how, right? There's a million different ways that people are trying to get us to do things against our best interest, right? There's, there's a lot of things that happen to us throughout the day. So I'm just telling you, if you get something in your inbox from me that says, here's a funny video of you that I found, click on it. It's not from me. And in fact, some of you, I have, I've gotten friend requests from you and, and friended you, and then I've got another friend request from you again but it's not you, right? There's so much fraud going on in the world, and I'm not saying it's all of the devil, but certainly some of it is, especially those calls that are telling me that my extended warranty is over. Well, what does that have to do, what does all of that have to do with the topic of the devil? Really, when someone is trying to get you to do something, like click on something or do something, what they're trying to do is, is gain your confidence somehow. And some of these things are so realistic that you go, I think this is true, and you click on it, and boom, you, you realize, oh my gosh, this is a fraud again. Sadly, we had a friend that was in uh, Southern California, was actually a person that, in our congregation, that told me she was dating somebody from another country. It was an online thing. I said, I said, please, please, please do not give them any money. This is a fraud. Do not. She, I'm not going to give them any money. And a little bit later, uh, we heard from her that, oh, she'd give them $100. I said, don't give them any money. Well, you don't understand. I would never give them more than that. Anyway, a, a long time passed, and we found out this this uh, relationship had gone on for a long time and they had taken her for, for over $100,000. 
Now, there's a reason why all of this constantly happens, and that's because it works sometimes, right? So if somebody is calling you saying the IRS is after you, and the way to get them off your back is to get Target gift cards, don't believe them, <laughs> right? Because that's the devil. And in this world, I think we have a tendency to not believe that the devil's true. Now, we might because a lot of us are Christians here. Most of us are Christians here. And that's part of believing in God is we understand that he's created spiritual beings. He's created physical beings. Uh, So uh, we we believe that there are uh, evil forces. But the world around us generally doesn't. They they believe that it's a fiction. In fact, I was uh, researching the, the Church of Satan Um, which is an interesting topic. I wouldn't advise it, but did you know that the church of Satan doesn't believe in Satan? I mean, I think they do, but they're they're atheists. They don't believe in Satan. And, And I think there's a problem when you are not believing in something that could really undermine you. So I want to read something that Paul had to say about the spiritual world. We find it in Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 12. It says this, last of all, I want to remind you that your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. So understand that you have power, but if you're a Christian, part of that exchange, the the grace that God gives us is the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us. So we have incredible power within us, but I'm here to tell you that your power is not what you need for the battle that we face. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand safe against the strategies and the tricks of Satan. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies, the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world. And against a huge number, huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. That kind of sounds ominous, doesn't it? And the reality is, we think that we're having problems with our neighbor. We think we're having problems with somebody at work. We think nations are having problems with each other. And wars and strife and family divisions and country divisions and all the things that are going on, we we look at, at that as a problem with flesh and blood, with people that we're having issues with. But the reality is there's something behind the problem. There's something that's stirring what's going on around us. And so sometimes we may be having problem with somebody else and they respond very crazy to us and we think it's them, but there may be something else involved. And dare I say, some of our responses to people in conflict and issues that we have and some of the choices we make may have been influenced by what's going on behind the scenes with the things we do not see. So we're going to peel back this morning uh, a little bit the, the mystery around Satan. Satan's a lot like the wizard in The Wizard of Oz, right? The, the, you see all the pomp and circumstance and, and everything going on, but behind the scenes there's somebody uh, operating the controls to get us to believe something that's not true. God's grace above all things, God himself and God's grace is something the enemy does not want us to see. And he's going to distract us in any way that he can. So how do we overcome the enemy? Three ways this morning. I overcome the enemy, number one, by acknowledging him 
accurately. The most dangerous enemy is the enemy you don't see, right? That's why when I was a kid and I went to bed at night, uh, sometimes every once in a while I like my door cracked open because that was safe. The monsters don't come in your room if the door's cracked. But every once in a while I go to bed and my, my closet door would be cracked open a little bit and I couldn't see in there. It was so dark and I realized there might be an enemy in there. So I would get up out of bed and I would shut the door. Now, lest you think that's funny, we still do that. We get nervous all the time. We get nervous when we're going in parts of town we don't, you know, we're not uh, familiar with. We get nervous in business situations. Uh, it's important for us to realize that there's something going on that we need to accurately assess. We have an enemy we have to accurately assess. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, the first thing we have to do if we're going to really attack and fight the enemy is we have to have two attitudes. Number one, we have to be alert and sober-minded. That just means clear thinking. Uh, I, I got to go on a trip to Africa. It was a mission trip. Uh, this was right before the COVID shutdown in 2020. And as a part of our trip, we actually got to do a safari on the Maasai Mara. Now, Maasai Mara was in the movie Coming Out of Africa. They actually filmed the, the more recent uh, live version of the uh, Lion King there, part of it there. And so it's just a beautiful area, this, this expansive valley, and you see giraffes and elephants and but there's a million different things that can kill you there. Uh, you know, you go down to the river and you see the hippos, the hungry, hungry hippos, right? Uh, and they're dangerous. They're more dangerous than almost anything else down there. Uh, there's alligators in the water, but there's lions too. And we got to see the lions. And in the truck we were in, I remember the, the guide said, oh, stop right here. He saw a lion coming from the field over here, and they just kind of don't bother the trucks. There's trucks everywhere, and they just walk past them. But here's this lion crouched, and he's prowling, he's walking slowly, and his head is just looking exactly straight ahead at this wildebeest. And this wildebeest is just down chewing and looking up and down chewing and looking up and looking around. And this, this uh, lion just took a long time and just stood there and then would walk a little and stood, stay, stay there. And then it got behind this tuft of grass and it stood there and looked and looked. And then it started going around just as the wildebeest pulled up his head and saw this lion, and the wildebeest just took off. The wildebeest was alert. Otherwise, we would have saw a kill. In this scenario, you guys, we're the wildebeest, right? We're the wildebeest. Now, Peter had some experience with this. The night Jesus was betrayed, he, he had dinner with the disciples. He had the Last Supper with the disciples. And he said this to Peter, and you can write this in your notes, by the way, if you have notes, you can pull them out. Uh, the, uh, Luke 11, or excuse me, Luke 22, 32 says this. Jesus said, Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And what he's telling Peter is there's a spiritual battle going on for you. And a lot of us don't realize that when they went to the garden and, and Jesus told Peter to pray, what he said is pray that you won't fall into temptation. He told Peter, pray, because he knew what was coming. And Peter, what did he do? He fell asleep. Three times he fell asleep. 
And we know the end of the story. When Jesus was arrested and he was taken off to the court, outside Peter was waiting and a little girl came to him and said, you were with him. And he said, blankety blank, I was not. He denied Jesus three times. He was under spiritual attack and he was unprepared. And the reality is, as Peter's writing this, he's understanding what he went through. And some of us have gone through it too. I know I have. I've gone through my periods of darkness where, where I have been attacked and I've given up and I've compromised and I've done things and I realize, oh my gosh, what happened? I wasn't spiritually prepared for it. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to remove your faith from you. If you remember what Peter did after that, he went back off to fishing right? That's what the enemy wants, to remove you from your faith. Uh, when I was in San Diego living down there, we had a friend who was a Navy SEAL, and he knew the instructor that taught the Navy SEALs. And if you ever watch this, this thing that talks about the Navy SEALs, who are the elite of the elite, right? And they have this, this training period called Hell Week, and they put them through a difficult time. Uh, in fact, these elites that go through this program have a failure rate of 50%. Think about that. Elite people go into this program and half of them fail. Well, the way they set it up is they put a bell in the middle of the training ground. And if you want to quit and drop out, you can. You don't have to stay in the program. But what you have to do is you go ring the bell to tell everyone else that you're dropping out. Well, what do you think that does to other people who are struggling and barely making it? They're thinking, well, they did it. I can do it too. And so uh, the instructor said, you know, we could make this training so hard that 100% of the people would drop out. But all we want to do is to have the people drop out that don't have the faith to make it. That, see, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to make things so hard for you that you start doubting your faith. It's important we understand what we're up against. It's not simple, it's not easy, it's not light but it's also not impossible to overcome. Don't be afraid of the devil, but be alert to the devil. Point number two is, we also overcome the enemy by understanding his strategies. Understanding his strategies. There was a comedian by the name of Flip Wilson. Some of you older folks may remember him. He was famous for saying, the devil made me do it, right? Well, the devil can't make anyone do anything. Uh, it's, it's an excuse, but the reality is the devil influences us to do, us to do things. And there's, there's this thing, I'll tell you kind of how he does it. There's this thing called, uh, I think it's a resonance, sympathetic resonance. If you're a musician, you know what that is. Sympathetic resonance basically is when there's a, a tune and there's something else, like a piano chord that has that same tune. If you play a C, the piano chord... C will begin to ring. If you have a, a tuning fork that's a C and another tuning fork that's a C and you hit one tuning fork and you stop it, the other tuning fork will be ringing. You see, what the devil does is he doesn't make us do things we don't want to do. He knows what we want to do. He knows where we're weak. And so what he does is he offers us opportunities to indulge in the things that we already want to do. This is what Jesus said about the devil in John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil. Now, a little background on this passage. 
Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, the leaders, the religious leaders who were fighting him, calling him the devil and trying to lead people astray. And so Jesus has now finally had it with them and he's confronting them. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out, there's the resonance, you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the reality is that the devil is formidable, but he has one weapon and one only, deceit. That's it. That's his whole bag of tricks, deceit. Now, that might sound like not a big deal, but there's only one truth, but there's a million ways you can lie. You ever notice that, right? Um, do you ever notice, that, have you felt in the culture lately like there's a lot of deceit that's going on? I don't know if it's just me, but it feels like there's more deceit going on now than I've seen in a long time. And the devil is working overtime to try and deceive people. And he's successful if we resonate with him. So I just want to go over a few of the ways that the devil tries to tempt us, okay? There's probably a hundred other ways, but I'm just going to name a few. See if some of these resonate with you, <laughs> all right? Number one, he shows you the bait and hides the hook. He shows you the bait, but he hides the hook. In other words, he's going to give you short-term pleasure, but there's long-term consequences, we know that's true with our health, right? There's certain things we can do with our health that's short-term fun, long-term consequences. There's shortcuts we take in life, decisions we make, they have short-term gain, long-term consequences. Uh, when I was a singles pastor at Bayside, this would happen every once in a while where somebody would be dating and then they would end up having a horrible breakup. And basically what happened is one of the persons misrepresented who they truly were. Now, I don't know what the thinking is behind that, but man, if I tell them who I really am, they won't want to date me. Do you think they ever might find out who you really are, right? At some point, you're going to have to come clean. So the long-term consequences is you, you have a relationship fail. So that's one. Next one, showing you the sins of others. Everyone else is doing it. It's not that big a deal, right? How bad could it be? Overemphasizing the grace of God. That's what Pastor Chris was trying to talk about uh, uh, with us the other week, where sometimes we think, well, God's given us his grace. It's not that big of a deal. I can do this. <clears throat> when we realize what it costs God to give us his grace, then it has, gives us a different perspective. The enemy also uh, wants us to feel entitled. I deserve this. You ever heard people say that? I know some of us have said that. I've said that. I've worked hard. I deserve that. You know what I don't say? When I've done something wrong, I never say, you know what I deserve? I deserve punishment. <laughs> I only deserve things when it's good. Uh, showing us how many bad people are having good lives. You ever notice how your neighbor who uh, is horrible, now I'm sorry, not all neighbors are horrible, but you might have one that is, and they just seem to have no problems whatsoever, but your life is falling apart and you're trying to serve God? And you go, what's the point of serving God if nothing is going right in my life? Or this, comparing part of your life to another. I'm really good in this area, so I'm kind of slack off in the other areas. There's so many different ways God, or the enemy, tries to tempt us to uh, understand and believe something that's not true that God says about us. The next thing is 
temptation and then accusation. Accusation. And that is just, you've done something wrong. He gets us to focus on our sin and bring our t- attention to it constantly. You ever have something that you did wrong and you're embarrassed about it and every time you think about it, you're embarrassed about it all over again? I've done that. I remember one of the first times I was in service, I was praying, I was asked to do the public prayer and back then we would pray for people in the congregation and there was a, a, a person I was supposed to pray for, D, who was sick and so I prayed for D. Oh, Lord, we just pray for her. We pray she'll get well soon and went on and on about how we wanted D to, to heal and, and at the end of the service, a woman came up to me at the end and said, thank you so much for praying for D. That's my husband. Anyway, I called Dee a woman the whole time. But I, I was just so embarrassed. I remember just over and over and over and over being reminded about that. Oh, you're a failure. So, you're so stupid. That's what the enemy wants us to do is just focus over and over and over again on our failures. Like Pastor Chris says, join the club. We're all failures. That's the point of the cross is to remove the guilt and remove the shame. That's not what we were designed for. We were designed to to live empowered lives of enjoyment and fulfillment. But that's not what the enemy wants. You ever said this? I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Uh, There's two categories of forgiveness in the Bible. God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. There's no category for us forgiving ourselves. And really, there's a little bit of pride in there. Because what you're saying is, I know God has standards, but mine are just a little bit higher than his, right? (laughs) The devil wants us to live discouraged. Or he gets us to judge others. When we start judging other people, we all of a sudden become just a little bit better than them. And we begin to treat them a little differently. Or we begin to distance ourselves from them. And I feel like in this society, we have never lived in a more judgy society. Everybody's judging everyone else. And uh, Teresa and I were talking about this the other day, about somebody who felt was very judgmental. And we thought, we've got to be careful we don't be judgmental of the judgmental person, right? I mean, the devil's pretty tricky. Here's the big one, though. He accuses God. Not only does the devil accuse us, he accuses God of being mean-spirited or withholding something that you deserve. How could God allow you to go through this? That's what happened in the garden. You know, the devil came to Eve and, and said, has God said you, you can't eat of the tree? Can you imagine, by the way, you have one commandment. Nothing else you gotta do. One commandment. Um, don't eat of the tree. Can you take a nap whenever you want? Yes. What can't you do? Don't eat of that tree over there. Uh, can you take a day off? Sure. Just don't eat of the tree. One thing. And, God, and the, the devil comes and points it out and says, why is God withholding this from you? It seems awful good. It's going to give you knowledge, right? God is not giving you something that you deserve. The devil is an accuser. And if you're feeling accusations, if you came this morning feeling guilt and shame, I'm here to tell you that's the enemy. That's the enemy playing a tune that's resonating with something in you, but God does not want you to believe that. He wants you to believe that you, walk, you can walk out of here free, free of guilt and free of shame. So that's the second thing. And finally, we overcome the enemy by focusing on God's solutions. 
focusing on God's solutions. I'm just gonna cover three, there's more we could, but number one, listen to the Holy Spirit. You ever had that still small voice that speaks into your head? That's the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Real quick, I just wanna say, you ever heard that verse that says, God won't give you more than you can handle? That's not a verse. That's taken from this and it's out of context. Trust me, God will give you more than you can handle. He does it all the time. What he won't do is give you more than he can handle, right? But this is talking about temptation. He won't allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. He's faithful, it says. He's with you. He's thinking about what's going on in your life. And if there's something coming into your path, just like Jesus did to Peter, he's going to give you a way out. Uh, I remember this, I think I told this at the marriage retreat, but uh, Teresa and I had a very important argument uh, one morning. And the argument was on the true definition of a word. We had a disagreement. She thought it was one thing, I thought it was another. And so we never resolved it. But uh, it was an impasse. And later that day, while I was at work, I got on Google and I looked up the definition, and sure enough, I was right. And so I got home, and I remember distinctly hearing the Holy Spirit say to me, don't say anything. (laughs) I remember it. And then I dismissed it out of hand and said, by the way, Teresa, I looked up the definition and I was right. And she said, have fun being right all by yourself, right? (laughs) The Holy Spirit constantly gives us advice on how to get out of things. There's no one that's an alcoholic that was driving to a bar thinking, oh, this is a good idea, right? It's like, you can turn now, you can turn back, you can call your sponsor, you can... The Holy Spirit's constantly speaking to us. We just need to get used to hearing that still small voice and pay attention. The next thing is we need to listen to God's word. Listen to his word. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says this, that the word of God is alive and powerful. It's not something that's static, something just sitting on a page, not just a story. It does something when we read it. It's alive and powerful and sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It expresses our innermost thoughts and desires. You ever think about your motivation for things? You know, we all like to think our motivations are pure, but sometimes the Holy Spirit will cut down to the very core of who we are and say, oh, you might be a little wrong on that. Teresa and I love reading in the mornings. We read, well, not every morning, most mornings. We do our devotional together and we talk about the Word of God. And it's amazing how often we're reading something that directly applies to our life or even changes the direction of what we're gonna do because of what we've read. The Word of God is powerful. And if your, your Bible is just sitting on your shelf, can I encourage you? Do this. Pick it up. Go to the New Testament. Start with John. Read one verse. Just start with one. Don't say, I'm going to read the whole Bible. Start with one verse. And then the next day, pick it up. Read a second verse. Read the third verse. After a while, you're going to like it. And it'll become a habit. Second thing. Third thing, if you want to battle the devil, watch the company you keep. And this is a big one. It says this in Psalms chapter one. 
Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of, that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And you can see a progression there. There's walking, right? Then there's standing, and then you're planted. You're sitting. When we hang around with people, we know who those are that take us the wrong direction. And I'm not saying don't be friends with people in the world because, hey, we, we can't be in the world if we don't make relationships with other people. And we're called to do that as Christians. But if there's people that are dragging us down, then we shouldn't hang around them. That's the bottom line. And this is a great place to hang around. I love hearing about Mike Hobson's group. Uh, Mike's doing a group called the Red Letter Challenge, and they're uh, being challenged every week on doing new things, and they're, they're bonding together, and they're doing things that are powerful, that are life-changing for them. And when you get in connection with other people, they're not driving you away from God, but are driving you towards God, your life begins to change. The enemy wants you to hang around and, and have your closest relationships with the wrong kind of people if, if those people drag you down. That's what he wants from you. You see, the enemy's got one thing. Lies. That's it. And all of us, myself included, believe at some level the lies that he's told us. And we act on them. And it disrupts our life. It was several years ago that Teresa and I, we were in Capitola. We like to go down there. Uh, we have a family a condo down there, so we go down there as often as we can. And we happened to be down there at this restaurant that we knew, and we knew the waitress at the restaurant, very comfortable. And so we're sitting there, and there's a man at a table next to us. He's by himself. And so Teresa is super outgoing, so she strikes up a conversation with him. And we begin talking to him, and he says, yeah, I have a place down here. I live over the hill. I come down, and every couple of weeks, I'll spend the weekend. And, uh, oh, are you married? No, I'm not married. Uh, but I just, I like coming down here. So we had kind of a short conversation, and we left. And on the way home, I remember us talking in the car, like, oh, man, it's too bad his wife doesn't come down. I wonder if they're having problems. You know how Christians like to gossip, right? Um, so we're talking about that, and uh, kind of forget about the conversation. A couple months later, we're down there again, same restaurant. The guy's sitting next to us again. Teresa goes, weren't you here a couple months ago? Didn't we talk to you? And he goes, yeah. And so we began talking a little more. We started talking about our kids. We were sharing how we have a huge family, lots of kids. And he said, yeah, I have two sons. And he goes, you never, you never want to say you have a favorite. Parents, that's a good tip. Don't tell your kids you have a favorite. He goes, but one of my sons, my older son, he and I click. It's just we like hunting together. We like doing things together. We kind of think the same way. We're really tight. And it was time for him to go off to college. And so I got him ready. We took him off to college. And just a couple months in, I got a call from his roommate. And he said, hey, you got to come, got to come up because there's something not quite right with your son. And so he goes, drives to the college and he, he meets his, with his son, takes his son to his doctor. He can tell something's wrong. Goes to the doctor. Doctor says, you have the onset of schizophrenia. So you need to get on medication. So he gets the son on medication and goes back to college. Father goes home. A few months later, gets a call from the roommate again. Hey, I haven't seen your son in a couple of days. I'm worried. 
He goes, he looks for him all over town, can't find him anywhere. Sadly, like a lot of people who have mental illness, they start feeling better and they stop taking their medication and then they feel the effects. And so he looked for him for months and finally heard that he was nearby where we were eating dinner. He was in a town nearby there and this father would come over and spend the weekend, every other weekend, and he would go looking for his son and try to get his son to get in the car to get back on, on his medication. And he would go into these different areas where he knew his son would frequent. And we'd talk to the police officers and talk to pe restaurant owners and people in the town that, that would see his son, that would know who he is. And he would go and he would hope, oh, maybe my son will get in my car this week. And, and he would reach out to his son and his son would curse him out and be afraid and run away from him. And he said, my wife would come, it's just too hard for her. I remember leaving that night thinking, I'm so quiet in our car, and I remember thinking, my God, if this isn't an example of our Heavenly Father, I don't know what is. So powerful the love that this father had for his son, that he wouldn't give up. Two years passed. And Teresa and I are down at that restaurant again. He wasn't there this time, but our waitress was there. And we asked our waitress, hey, did you ever hear the end of that story? You know, did he ever find his son? She goes, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's like six months after you talked to him, one day he was down there and he was driving by and he saw his son and he came up and he said, son, please, I love you, get in the car. And for whatever reason, his son trusted him that day and he got in the car. And he was able to get him help. And he was able to get him on his medication. And now they come as a family and they eat here. Here's what I want to tell you. We all are like that schizophrenic boy. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the devil. There's mental illness. Sometimes the devil's involved. I don't know. But here's the reality. We all believe lies. And, and we have a heavenly father that will never, ever, ever ever give up on us because not only is he God of grace but he's a loving God who goes after us and if you're here this morning and you've been running from God and you've got a chip on your shoulder about God I get it I understand but I'm just here to tell you you've been told some lies because you have a God that loves you and has gone after you your whole life and today could be the day that you just turn around like that young man and say, I'm just going to trust you. My life's a mess. And I want you to begin to help me figure it out. I want the truth. I want to know what you think about me. Not what I think about myself, not what the enemy thinks about me, but what you think about me. And if you're walking around with guilt and shame, let's just get rid of it this morning. Let's agree to go out of here feeling freed up, feeling lighter from the grace that God wants to pour in our life. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that even though there is a devil who wants to destroy us, you are far, far more powerful 
than anything he has to throw at us. We take him seriously, but Lord, we take you and your grace far more seriously. And we trust it. And I just pray for anyone this morning that came in that has never taken that step of faith to put their trust in you, that they would do that right now in the quietness of this moment and just say, Lord, I just want to give my life to you. I want to turn to you. I want to take a chance and trust you and see that you might change my life. Please speak truth to me. And if others of you have been struggling with addictions or with guilt and shame, I just want to pray for you this morning. Father God, I just pray you would help break those strongholds, those bonds where the enemy has gotten in and taken control in our lives. Lord, we reject the lies of the enemy and we accept the truth that you want to speak over our life, that Jesus thought us valuable enough to give his life on the cross for us and that he is praying for us, interceding for us right now. And if we're running from him, He's searching for us. Thank you, God, for your grace this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen.